This podcast is part of the Treksphere Network. To find more Star Trek-related content, visit treksphere.com. All opinions expressed on this episode belong purely to the speaker and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any Jonathans that normally host this show. As you know, this is the measure of an episode where it is our continuing mission to explore what makes Star Trek genuine Star Trek and not just a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I'm Paul. And I'm Jonathan. <laughs> and... The criteria by which we judge these episodes, number one, is there science fiction explored in the plot? Number two, is that science fiction unique or novel in some way? And number three, is there a moral or ethical dilemma explored in the episode? Uh, and this week, we watched Strange New Worlds, episode one. Nope. Season one, <laughs> episode seven, The Serene Squall, which once again sounds very much, uh, Jonathan, I don't know how much you've seen the uh the, the original series probably i know you've seen one at least I've one. Seen quite a bit more than that um right yeah no this is continuing with their their tradition of making episode titles sound like the classic series exactly yeah and the blurb is while on a dangerous humanitarian mission the crew of the uss enterprise stumbles into a harrowing game of leverage with the quadrant's deadliest space pirate so i have to say something about this so Angel, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Aspen, uh, she's sort of the – she flips. Spoiler alert. She flips yep. and she turns into the – she turns into a very fabulous mustache-twirling bad guy. And, Jumping right into that spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's very important because I know that you, Jonathan, are very much a Marvel fan, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm curious if you also had the experience of like feeling like this was – it felt in tone, not so much in content, whether it was good or bad is, you know, that aside, but just in tone, it felt like a Guardians movie. Did you have the same experience? You say in tone, and that's interesting. It feels like, I mean, because, oh, man, the problem is that James Gunn has such a distinctive voice in his creative content that, no, that wasn't something that immediately leapt out at me. But I could say that, like, I definitely see how this could have been because James Gunn almost didn't direct Guardians 3. Like this could have been someone else's content that was like a spinoff of Guardians that James Gunn didn't right. have any hand with. I, I totally see how this is um, parallel to it for sure. I felt like there were the tone of the comedy where it doesn't quite feel like like, for example, the Cap Captain Pike when they're being held prisoner on the serene squall, the ship. He never quite feels like he's in danger. And nobody else does either. They all kind of are just taking it very casually. And it felt very Star-Lord to me. It felt very, no no one's taking this very seriously. Except the part where Dr. Aspen is setting us up that this is the most dangerous ship, uh, the most dangerous pirate ship in the quadrant or whatever you want to say. And she, there are several times, at least three times where she warns us that, Hey, you know, if, if this were the serene squall, you'd, we'd all be dead by now, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's very ominous sounding until we meet them. And it's a blue guy, a fat blue guy with long hair that doesn't like people's cooking. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, the, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's this weird, I'm not, I'm having trouble reconciling those two things. And that's where that guardians kind of thing hit me. And it kind of felt like, because, you know, with Marvel, what always kind of impressed me about Marvel was that they're able to very well balance the earnest danger stakes part of his plot. And the it never gets too heavy side of a plot, right? It Paul, never gets to the point. 
<laughs> Paul, you can't do this to me. You cannot start talking about Marvel because I've got some opinions on that very thing that you're talking about right now. Oh, well, um, well let's hear them, Jonathan. Well, okay, so <laughs> um, Thor Ragnarok is, I think, the worst offender when it comes to this. It's a fun movie. I enjoy it overall. But um, at the very end, spoilers for a movie that's not the subject of this episode. Um, so Asgard gets destroyed. I mean, that's, you know, Ragnarok is what that is even referring to. And at the, you know, when it's destroyed, they're looking out at it and they have Korg basically saying, you know, his his jokes and everything. And that's just absolutely the wrong time for it. Because in universe, Thor is over a thousand years old. This has been his home. These have been his people. He's watching like his kingdom effectively like he's he's royalty here be destroyed and that is a moment that really should not have been played for comedy that really should have been something that like you felt thor and his loss in that moment because it definitely would have been loss um and so you know mostly i would say that i agree with you but i think that more recently uh, they've been sort of leaning a little bit too heavily into the comedy side of things and i think it's actually kind of easy to blame Guardians of the Galaxy, because that brought along with it a new tone that deviated quite a bit from the original tone benchmark, which was the first Iron Man movie. Um, and it was successful. It, it did very well. And so they they shifted a bit to sort of make everything a little bit more like that. I think the first three iterations in of Thor in the Marvel movies, which was Thor 1, Thor 2, and, and Avengers, I think you had that Thor. You kind of had a very unhumorous and that he's very stoic and you get the sense that this person could be a thousand years old. Uh, and I think that, as you said, in Ragnarok, that was abandoned and they kind of wrote a new Thor in a way. Yeah. Like it, it really could, you, if you really juxtapose the, the first Thor character with Ragnarok Thor, they're two separate characters. Well, and that's the and, thing. Like, I, I don't mind them trying to make him funnier. I totally get the impulse to do that. But your word, abandoned, is correct. And I think that that was right. the mistake, that they swung way too hard in the other direction. And that's why the Enterprise... Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, actually, to tie that back into the conversation you're having, um, you're not wrong. I didn't notice this in the moment. But um, the the stakes are 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 told not shown like we're, we're told that it's important but then no one acts as if it's important yeah i mean i think i think it's okay for for us to have the dr aspen tell us that to set up this ominous thing that could that's that's lurking in the darkness right so that's okay except when we finally get they finally beam over there and they are kind of outfitted for battle they're outfitted for something for something bad to happen and that's the part where it's it kind of goes awry for me in terms of the tone because then it's like uh eh, well there's nobody here and then it's all kind of then it turns into Waterworld meets Guardians of the Galaxy where there's all these people who seem to be uh living off of junk or something like I guess the, it's it's supposed to be space pirates and in terms of space pirates I'm immediately reminded of Firefly did you yeah, ever see Reavers. Jonathan have you ever seen Flight yes Reavers exactly which is a way darker way scarier way more ominous group of people than this yep. was. But this it's funny that, that you join us, Jonathan, on this episode, uh, because every episode before <laughs> this one uh, was does not have this weird incongruity of tone. It kind of lands where it needs to land. Like you, you hmm. you're okay with all of because the, there is a lot of it is very lighthearted at times. It, it actually is 
setting us up for the original series very well. And you've not seen, Jonathan, the previous six episodes. I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. I have seen all the same episodes that you have, of course. Right. So, um, so then you do, you do remember that it, it does go back and forth really well between when it's supposed to be lighthearted and funny and there's an amount of levity uh, versus when the shit has hit the fan and things are bad and there are there is danger. So that doesn't really happen in this episode. I mean, the only moment I can think of is when they storm the bridge, when the bad guys storm the Enterprise bridge. And that actually did feel like there was something bad could happen. Did that, yeah. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And I'll say too, just thinking about like the, the overall tone and I guess comparing it to Guardians of the Galaxy, but like there was something about Pike's demeanor that felt very much like the Doctor, like Doctor Who, um, where it's like he's he knows so much about the situation. He doesn't feel like he's in over his head ever. He's always got total control. Um, and yeah, like it's, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, like the the bridge is basically the only time that it really felt like people acting like the stakes were real. Right. Yeah, so what the difference between this show and all the other Star Trek shows, it seems, is stoicism on the bridge. Everybody's jokey-jokey on the bridge, and that doesn't ever really happen that often in the other shows. It's usually quite serious on the bridges, all the other bridges. And I don't know, so when you say Doctor Who, you have to keep in mind I have never seen a single frame of Doctor Who. I mean, I know what a Dalek is from Epic Rack Battles. (laughs) Know what that means that's my only uh input cultural touchstone yeah <laughs> so i'm up to date that's what i'm trying to say like i know exactly what you meant when you said doctor yes Lee. is the doctor very jokey jokey and light uh, light-hearted or is it the other thing other way so, around doctor who is a kid's show at its heart and so there's 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 consequence to the things that happen and the doctor does take things seriously but yes, there's this levity that goes throughout because he basically has to be smiling to the kids that are watching. Um, and so, you know, nothing ever feels like it's too much for the Doctor. He's he's the universe's hero. Got it. There's nothing he hasn't seen type of thing. Mm, that's that's close enough to, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll take that. Okay. Okay. So I, I don't like the way that Vulcans in general were treated in this episode and then that's going to be absolutely consistent with opinions i've expressed in in prior episodes as well um (laughs) but um it's it's like they when they say that vulcans you know get rid of emotion and they deal with pure logic and everything the way that that's expressed is that they go through all the emotional stuff inside and they they only show sort of the the stoic demeanor um, and that's a real problem because that's not the same thing. That's not, not having emotions. That's, um, right. like, like with this in the, in the whole sort of just the intro, you know, let's get to the actual episode. Um, right. when Spock is talking to his girlfriend and he's, he's clearly uncomfortable. And then she says that I thought that the onus was on me to be the one who researches you because I don't understand the human side of things as well as you. Um, he says, thank you gratitude is an emotion like that's that's to begin with that's just already a problem um right. then uh you know with his discomfort with with that is 
kind of also emotional. And then when he's explaining this thing to his friend and she says, you know, calls him out for being distracted, he says, sorry, remorse is an emotion. And so it's just like, it's, I don't even know what being emotionless means in the context of all this, because the writers are making that very unclear. He's just someone who's basically autistic in his expression of emotions. Yes, I agree with you. I think throughout all of Star Trek, the entire Star Trek canon, that's always been a complaint because it's very difficult to have a being who doesn't express emotions, especially with the revelation that in fact, they do have emotions. They're just repressing them and they're trying very, and they're actually their whole, their entire culture is centered around repressing your emotions because they feel that it, it goes badly otherwise. And I feel like what they're doing well in this show is they're stepping outside of that circle of we're not going to talk about that because it doesn't make any sense. As you just pointed out, they're kind of showing that, you know, we've never seen two, uh, a two Vulcans be betrothed before and what that's like to be with two people who are, I guess, in love with each other, even though love is a pretty strong emotion. So I feel like they're kind of handling that by showing that all Vulcans are a work in progress in terms of, repressing their emotions and and letting go whichever emotion they think is either overflow or is necessary but they did it very successfully with with data like data i think is actually a pretty good example of someone who doesn't really feel emotions that he really does kind of approach things logically um he he'll get confused you know he'll he'll do his best to kind of reconcile conflicting pieces of information but he doesn't seem to feel one way or another about things that happen it is true. I, I always wonder why everybody likes Data. I feel like the on the surface, it is because he's a robot and maybe a bit of a puppy. You know, everybody kind of, he's kind of innocent in that way because he doesn't understand emotions and he's always yes. trying to wrap his Famously, you and I have talked it. about this on the show a lot. Yes, a lot. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad you remember. And I, I feel like Data is different because he's trying to emulate emotion. He's trying to be human. And it's sort of the opposite of Vulcans, which are very mm. much trying to not be human. They're trying to be the opposite. They're trying to be data, basically, without the striving to be human. And I, 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 I'm glad in a way that they're exploring that in the show. But at the same time, every scene that we have with, with this Vulcan, with both Vulcans that are on the show, because uh, T'Pring is on the show quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, even though she's kind of not on the ship and they both show plenty of emotions, like all right, run this, the gamut, you know? So I don't, I don't know where, the, where they're going with that other than, you know, we like to do a lot of work on the show in terms of being apologists. And I think that maybe they're trying to show that maybe all Vulcans aren't these perfect, uh, unemotional people that they are in fact emotional all the time. I, I, I know that there's probably, uh, someone, much more versed in Star Trek than I am, that there has been a history written about Vulcans where they were terribly violent uh, in the past. Like it was not a society. It was kind of just barbarism. And they decided that, that was bad, that emotions caused that. And so they, they vowed to release all emotion from their society. And this is, and now we're here. And so I, I think that's kind of a rough outline of how that came to be, but you're totally right is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense because as you said, gratitude is an emotion. Um, remorse. All the things, it remorse, all the things that happen in the show to Spock are because of emotion, right? I will say though, I feel like it makes them better characters 
having the emotions having or i guess at least having emotions they don't want which is i guess a very human part of the human condition like i don't want to be sad and a more broader stroke i want to ask did you like this episode um i mean it was yeah it was a good time it's well made i don't know i mean yeah yeah, I'm, it's it's tough because like, and you you know you you really shine a spotlight on it, but like because it, they didn't really act like there were any consequences, it just kind of felt like they were going through emotions. I don't know. It wasn't particularly engaging. Like it was, it was fine. Yeah, but it was yeah. that's it. It was fine. Right. I agree with you. It's kind of too bad. I hope that the next episodes recover from this. Um, so there's the inciting incident uh, where they are forced to make a decision to go outside of the realm of Federation space and into, and to go rescue this colonial ship. Yeah. And they show up to this debris field, which I guess they're able to tell is a, is the, the remnants of this, these colonial, this colonial armada or whatever it is. And mm. they go from, that's the only information they know, which is okay. A ship was destroyed here and they are able to logic their way into, okay, all of the colony colonists, colonists, all of the colonists are going to be sold into slavery if we don't go rescue them. That was like 30 seconds of them speculating. And so they decide to risk the life of the crew and based on pure speculation. Yeah. Because somebody said, well, sometimes I've heard that slavery is a thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, it'd be funny if there was like, you know, or it could be dogfighting. They could be dogfighting down there. <laughs> could be anything you're right it could be some terrible thing this happened later like when the like another logistical problem was when the enterprise encounters the colonist ship after they've been going out of the federation space Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of grand reveal uh when the asteroid kind of moves out of the way and there's the ship in the in the background they're like a couple football fields away but they're in viewing distance and Part of the reason that they're able to hide, I guess, the Enterprise is because they say that the other ship's sensors haven't detected us yet. And I felt like that's so lazy. That's so not what would happen. I'm pretty sure the sensors of a spaceship can see farther than a couple of football fields. It seems like it wouldn't be very easy to travel through space if you couldn't see that far away. So it just felt very chintzy. And normally it doesn't do that, but it didn't make any sense. And then they, they beam onto the ship and they don't know that anybody's there until they... They zip line down from the rafters. Well, and I have some questions. So the sensors haven't detected them yet. I mean, kind of to your point, but like, then what are they for? Like, if if they have sensors that can't detect ships that distance, then that's weird. Like, those seem like useless sensors. Um, Right. Also, how can they tell? Like, if, if I had a car that could detect other cars, like there are Teslas that can do this. That doesn't announce anything to the cars that I'm detecting. Yeah, there, but there is a a long running methodology in in Star Trek Shields tech where you can tell if you're being scanned. So but I don't know how you, I don't know how you would know that. But is scanning the same thing as detecting? Like if if the sensors just simply detect that a ship is there, that's that's not the same thing as a scan. Like sure, you know, a scan is going to be a process that's going to to tell with more detail through various metrics for sending signals and receiving them back and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Like a scan will give you more information, but like if you have cameras there that are simply looking into space and they see a spaceship, then there's nothing on the other spaceship that it's seeing to let them know that, Oh, yep. 
we saw you like the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is not going to be detectable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the difference is that when you scan somebody, you're effectively, you're reaching much, much deeper into, in terms of data and information, as opposed to like, Oh, there's this thing that just showed up. What do you, you want to gotta do say it? data when you're talking about the item and not the person you gotta say data you said <laughs> reaching into data and i'm like really upset by that oh, image i i meant i actually meant data yeah i, I had moved on <laughs> so sorry i'll make that clear next time um yeah i don't know I, I felt like they were very focused on the comedy of this episode and introducing this angel or aka dr aspen and I felt like that was the focus and that was where they put all of their writing energy into and not the logistics of the away team and the science and the technology, et cetera. Uh, I don't think that they really cared about that in this episode. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so what did you think of the flip when Dr. Aspen becomes angel? I, I found it really predictable. Like whenever they have a person on the show yeah. who is, so it's 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 a trope. I mean, the the person who on the show who's like a, a ridiculously good guy, better good guy than the good guys, because like she even says that she left the Federation to help people because the Federation wasn't doing enough. Like that's that's the bad guy. Like you can tell. Right. The more you're asking yourself, why aren't they on the ship? Then you know that something is going to happen. Either they're going to die. Or they're going to flip in some way. Something's going to happen to them. Yeah, so, for sure. What I didn't like about it was so I, she was perfectly fine when she was being Doctor Aspen. Fine, like I, I liked it. I liked that she was kind of psycho psychoanalyzing Spock in a way that was actually made a lot of sense considering the very ending of this, which we can get into in a second. But what I didn't understand was why they made Angel this kind of smug, quippy to the point of being annoying character where she was this, I don't know how to, a better way to say this, but a mustache twirling villain. Yeah. And a vil like I say, villain, like comic book villain. Like she looked like one. She talked like one. She was dressed like one, you know, it felt very much that way. And so I, I found it just annoying. I don't know who she was being like when, usually when you're that way to somebody, somebody has wronged you and she wasn't really even wronged by the Federation. I, at least in, in the backstory that we got about her and she just yeah. turns into kind of just a, I don't know, just a terrible person. And you don't, I don't really know why did, did anything pop out at you? No. Um, it, it didn't strike me at the time when I was watching it, but I mean, again, you're not wrong. Like thinking back on it, it's, it's weird that the, the gear change was that potent. That's a bad <laughs> sentence. <laughs> we love bad sentences on this podcast it's what sets us apart what the heck paul else. what is a potent gear change <laughs> i'm thinking like thick with oil <laughs> that's the visual i get i don't know why she had to be so angry at everybody why she was like oh well why don't you go over there like what why did it turn into ace ventura type of yeah. uh, characterization but she also like she says things that are just flat wrong like when she's talking to spock before the, the reveal she like she's saying that 
you know, they're, they're talking about him being both human and Vulcan. And he says, that's just biology. I was raised on Vulcan. And she goes, that's just geography. I'm like, no, that's the culture he was raised in. It's not just about where he was. That's certainly going to help influence the culture. But like, yes, his biology is way less important than the the, the culture that he's raised in. That's that's not the same thing as just geography. Um, right. And then also later on when she's like, I've been manipulating your emotions this whole time. Not necessarily. Like, he could learn about this and he could determine that it's more logical to do the things that's going to help the most people. That doesn't have to be tugging on heartstrings. It could just be like, no, I mean, logically, these people should be helped because that's the most beneficial for the overall outcome. Right. Yeah, and she was less tugging at heartstrings as she was just lying. She right. was just lying to people. And... Oh, that too. She said that, like, yeah. um, Vulcans don't lie. And, like, there at the end, their whole gambit is a deception. So Vulcans do lie. Right. So I think the reason that they were doing this was they were are trying to establish this love triangle. I mean, I don't know if you caught on to that, but but there's yeah. been a few other instances where nurse nur, nurse nurse yeah you got that right yeah <laughs> the nurse what's her goddamn name I can never remember her name nurse no it's not I know it I'm just the seeing nur- if you guess <laughs> thanks what is it I don't know. <laughs> Aha! Um, the nurse, uh, there's been a couple of other instances where she and Spock, like she kind of catches a glance or whatever, or rather he catches a glance from her and it's kind of like, oh, a little thing. And I, that's the one thing I actually appreciated about this episode is without ever having that conversation between the nurse and Chapel. There we go. Nailed it. Nurse Chapel and Spock. Where they're saying, you know, I thought there was something, but he's like, well, look, I have this this relationship with the Pring and I can't do like they don't ever have that conversation. I'm so happy they didn't. They didn't really need to. Mm-hmm. And they, I, that's one thing that they're actually pretty good at on this show is not beating us over the head with character stuff that they kind of let it go. And if you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, well, too bad. You know, they have a little bit less contempt. Well, a great deal less contempt for the audience than in Picard where in Picard they, they do like, not only do they spell it out for you in dialogue, but they underscore it with huge music swells to make Mm -hmm. sure that, you know, it's important. So I like that, but I did like that. There's this, now there's this triangle and they have this, this whole thing where Tpring and Spock are obviously their betrothed, but there's this other thing now, because I think the idea between the kiss between nurse chapel and uh, Spock was that, oh, that, that seemed like there was more there. You know, it yeah. seemed like it wasn't just pretend. Yeah. And, you know, the the obvious thing is that this is going to be something that builds. I don't, I don't know if I would prefer the obvious thing or if I'd like them to subvert that. If they do subvert it, I don't want them to just drop it. I don't know. It's tough being a writer because you got to, like, find ways to keep things interesting without – straying too far away from the language of the media that's already been established. Right. Um, and I don't know what the, if what the future is between nurse chapel and Spock are, for example, in the, in the next, not the next generation, the original series. I don't actually know if they ever do have any kind of romantic relationship. Yeah. And so I don't know if they're seeding that or if they're just playing around, if they're just fooling around with something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I don't know either. But that was the really only thing that that jumped out at me as as interesting was that they were they were saying a lot without saying anything. 
and I, and I appreciate it. And something that I have, I of course know, cause I've, I've seen the whole show, but you could perhaps right. remind the audience. Um, the, the thing that really struck me when watching this is just how animated other characters are when interacting with Spock. And I don't know if this is like a character choice that everybody's making, if it's something that the director is specifically asking people to do, but it, it really feels like they're trying to force a contrast between Spock's emotionless nature and all like the really sort of lively communication methods that a lot of people have. Like everyone's just like way, like they, they turn it up when, when engaging with Spock because he's so level. Right. I, I get, always get the impression that they're hazing Spock that everyone is <laughs> yeah right yeah that's like, actually they, a really good way of of putting it. it it seems like they're performative like they're they're clued in on something that spock is being deliberately left out of the loop on or they're trying to annoy him by overloading him with emotional stimulus right because he mm. i feel like the the state of i guess character i don't want to say emotion because he's not supposed to have any but the the state of which they put spock is always kind of uncomfortably annoyed at his situation by having to deal with humans and all of their emotion. And so everybody's kind of dialing it up whenever they walk around him. That's <laughs> kind of, it's what it feels like to me. Um, and I, I'm actually okay with it. I don't know if I get that sense. I'm just thinking about it. And it's, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I get how not expressing emotions, just sort of constantly being a, a baseline sort of expression could read as being annoyed to people who aren't used to that. But I don't know if that's intentional. I don't, I don't think that Spock is meant to come off as being annoyed by other people. I, we've talked about this before, you might remember, where it seems like Vulcans are kind of inherently arrogant yeah. and superior feeling because they feel as though that they, have, they are, have graduated to a higher level of enlightenment because they have shed their primitive emotions. And... I don't know if this particular Spock feels that way. I do get that he feels more isolated because he's not around his kind and that he feels torn because he is part human and that there's always this dichotomy of emotion, even more so than with Leonard Nimoy's Spock, where you got the sense that he, well, it's kind of hard to use him as to to analyze him because he was just sort of setting the tone of what a, a Vulcan is because of that, who's the first one. I get the sense that they're playing Spock a little bit lighter in terms of making fun of the fact that he's not supposed to be have emotions. Like they're, they're playing it less as though it's a sacred, something sacred. It's kind of like not making fun of someone's religion in front of them. Uh, they drop that. <laughs> they, they are very much making fun of him, I guess. Not making fun overtly, but they're not taking it as heavily as it has been in the past in terms of the way Vulcans present themselves. Did you, yeah. so, you know, you've seen Leonard Nimoy Spock. You've probably seen other, other Vulcans having seen a lot of the show. Yeah. So how do you like this particular expression of Spock or a Vulcan? Well, yeah. And I was, I was actually just going to say something about that next, because I think in, in talking about how they suppress emotions and comparing it to data and, you know, actual sort of emotionless people and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that Leonard Nimoy's Spock is actually much more like that, much more emotions are kind of secondary. 
Um, Leonard Nimoy always seems curious by emotions. Like he thinks it's interesting that other people feel things and he doesn't. So right. that's a bit yeah. incongruous if we're talking about this as being a younger version of Spock. But that aside, I think it makes sense that a younger Spock, which is what we're seeing here, would have um, – he'd be sort of imperfect at that process of you know being emotionless. Um, it, it's still a journey that he's on. So right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly willing to forgive the – not exactly failings, but – the fact that he's he's not emotionless right because right. the character in, in continuity does get there right and i think that what people liked about leonard nimoy's spock or being a vulcan was that it wasn't he wasn't being a robot he wasn't being robotic he did there it did feel like there was some sort of person behind yeah. that and I, I, that's probably a, a tribute to leonard nimoy's acting because he was a he's a pretty good actor um, I don't know if I've ever seen him being anything else in anything else than Star Trek. Actually, I can tell you I haven't. So I have no idea in terms of him being it. He's just really good at being Spock. Let's put it that way. So everybody's kind of doing an impression of Spock in the latter shows. And so that's tough to try and do that. It's kind of like, it's kind of the same thing as when, for example, Seth MacFarlane goes on a, a talk show. And they say, come on, do your characters, do the characters. We love the characters. And so he does the characters. You're like, oh man, he's so good at that. When in reality, well, he made up the voice, right? So he's not really <laughs> right. doing it. He's not doing an impression. He's doing what he does, like something he made up, you know? So it's easier for him to get off in that way. Anyway, I think this guy's doing a pretty good job. I like, I, I, at a certain point, we kind of just have to forget that he becomes Leonard Nimoy in 20 years or however long, whatever it is. And that this is just a new show. This is just a show with a new Vulcan who happens to be named Spock. And that's it. <laughs> right. They don't think about like people get pissed because they're like, well, it doesn't seem anything like Spock to me. It's like, well, come on. That was how many years ago? How many years ago was that? 60 years? 1968. Yeah. I don't know that I agree with that. Oh, um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's get into it. Hit me. <laughs> because, we are talking about Star Trek, which is one of the very few things that kind of has the status that it does. And Spock is, you know, we're talking about an iconic character on an iconic show. And so doing an impression of the person that basically established this character to begin with is correct. I would say like there's it's it's established, you know, deviating too far from that. It becomes something that is effectively unrecognizable, even if it's slightly like there's there's still an accurate version of this thing that you're intended to portray. I I get wanting and this sort of goes back to what I was saying, like I, it makes sense that he would be sort of a, a more imperfect version of it being younger um, starting from the Leonard Nimoy character and then working right backwards and figuring out who this person would have been, um, in, you know, the, in the timeline at this, at this point in his past. Um, and, and within that, as an actor, I certainly understand the impulse of wanting to put your own spin on it. Like you want to make it yours, but there is still a benchmark and you can't ignore that. I agree with you that there is a benchmark and that you do have to stay within the bounds of what eventually Spock is supposed to be. But I do think that 
there's only so much fidelity one can have in a show that is taking place, not taking place, but is being produced 60 years after the originalists. It's the same argument that you and I have had many times about should the enterprise resemble the enterprise as it did in the original series. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it is a complete polar opposite of what the enterprise looked like in the 1960s. And I, I understand why you just can't do that. I, and I understand why a lot of people, maybe a bit of myself included, don't like the original series a lot because it feels so dated. Not yeah. so much, not even not even in the sets and whatever, but also just in the acting style and, and the types sure. of storylines. So how much then, I ask you, how much fidelity is required to be considered good or or correct when the show took place or was made 60 years ago or something like that? 60, yeah, well, 60 years ago. So we're, we're talking about a couple of different things there, though, because when you – when you have a character, then there are certain things that you can distill that have nothing to do necessarily with the the cinematography and the sound design and even the actor portraying them. Like there's there's still things about Spock that are necessary to be there in order for it to be recognizably Spock at all. And that goes back to what I was saying, like where it's just at a certain point, right. it's just a different character and that's not why you're watching the show. Um, right. The the analogy that I'll give is that it's like if they if there was a game that released on the PlayStation and they wanted to like remaster it and basically develop the game from the ground up for today's console, um, you you would have all of the updated visuals, you know, more polygons, better textures, uh, better sound, better cinematography. You could do motion capture. Like you'd have different tools at your disposal, but it should still be something that feels like the same game to you. Um, and yeah, that's where I stand. like updating everything to sort of conform with the times is different. I think from straying from the things that made them recognizably, you know, the, the thing that attracted to you in the first place. And that's another thing that I actually like. I I feel like they are doing well on the show is you can watch this show and get the reminiscence of the original series without it looking like it. You know, I think that they, you can kind of feel it, right? I don't know yeah. if you noticed, but the 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 ship is is magnificent. Like <laughs> I don't know of another of another way to say it, <laughs> but it just is. It's just amazing. It makes me want to be there. Like I want to be there even more than yeah. next gen, right? Next gen was kind of like I want to be in that universe. I want to live there, and this was even more so. Like it's just amazing. Yeah, and and. I never felt that way with the original series. I always felt like I was on a submarine. And so I guess that's where it, it diverges in that sense, where it feels it feels like the future. And I don't know. I would love to be able to go and interview people from the 60s after having watched a season of the original series and say, does this feel like the future to you? Or does it feel like they're just kind of telling you it's the future and that's you have to accept that because that's the show? Like, Do you feel like this is what's going to happen in 200, 300 years. You know I mean? I, do you actually, I should ask, do you feel that way when you watch the show? Does it feel like the future? Plausible, um, a plausible future, I should say. So, sorry. So strange new worlds or the original series? Strange new worlds. So strange new worlds. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a more, I mean, but it, I feel like it just comes down to the, the production values. Like it, it definitely feels more like the future than the original series did. 
But comparing them, it's like the original series, if the original series were to be recreated perfectly today, then we're talking about basically like a public access TV show or like a community theater <laughs> presentation of Star Trek um, right. because that's where the production values were at the time. And so if you want to compare the two things, it's just it, – it becomes virtually impossible because you have to make so many concessions just because of the time frames we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I, I feel like there have probably been a lot of people who don't like – so on, on Amazon, I should say that out of five stars, Strange New Worlds only has four. And there's like a thousand reviews or something like that, which seems low for a show like this. Uh, maybe on Paramount Plus it's different. But, I mean, this was a four-star episode. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think in terms of the whole show, though, it's very strange to me. Like, I, I would love to know what the complaint... Maybe I should go in. Maybe we'll have an episode where we go in and read the uh, the bad reviews, and that could be interesting. Oh, that's a good idea. What a great idea you just had. Yeah. And I, Jonathan, I demand that we do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we think that this is a genuine Star Trek episode? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, okay. I agree with you. It was a good time. Um, I think it's, it's a bit of a stretch to say that there was an ethical dilemma. I'm not thinking of one. Like, there was peril that was expressed, but, like, no no real difficult choices. Um, and there was, right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of any sci-fi, let alone anything that was critical to the plot. There was nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. It didn't hit any of the criteria very interestingly. As you just said. Yeah. So this is the first for this show. All the other episodes have been proper Star Trek. So uh, hopefully this is not a trend. Because this is actually one of my... In terms of all the new Trek that I've seen over the past however many years, five, six years, uh, this is my favorite new Trek show by far. Like It seems <laughs> to hit all the marks be the best. So is this... Well, so as I feel like dropping the facade, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. as someone who has at least heard every episode, um, you don't seem to be that much of a fan of Star Trek in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> you like Next Generation mostly. This show is this is this better than Next Generation for you? I think it's different. I like okay. it. To me, it's the best continuation of Next Generation, which is interesting because it takes place before Next Generation. I feel like the the world is better. And I, 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 I feel inclined to defend myself. I agree with you that there is a lot of Star Trek that I don't like. <laughs> uh, DS9, for a lot of various reasons. But I, I think, I, but I will say that even though I don't like it, I still enjoy watching it um, for the most part. But I love the world. I just love the Star Trek world I, way more than I like, for example, the Star Wars world. I like its continuity. I like that there is a fidelity across all the shows, but not to the point of throwing the baby out with a bath, bath water too often. Yeah. Sometimes they do. But I enjoy living in the world, even if that means I kind of have to sit through some hokey plot lines or some hokey character moments. Like that's kind of what I like about it. So even though I will admit that the episodes themselves are not that good, especially like even objectively just bad writing. I mean, one of them, <laughs> you were there with us, the, the, uh, the TOS episode, the something of the King. The, 
I just listened to it too. I can't remember what the name of the episode was, but that was a terrible episode it, to the point of just not making it was just nonsensical, you know? Yeah. But it's okay. Like I, I kind of, I'm sure you must feel this way about some of the doctor who the, the different doctors who, right. That, <laughs> the various doctors who, um, yeah. sure. I mean, there must be some that are better than others, right. Doctors or the, like the, seasons or episodes? Not the doctors, just the, the seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't have the vitriol that a lot of the fan community has, but um, I mean, I, I more or less agree with the the consensus about which sort of seasons and doctors have been the, the, the best and worst and all that kind of stuff. Maybe this is a sacrilege to say out loud, but... I feel like it's more fun to listen to somebody bitch about something than it is to listen to somebody praise something. Like if you listen to a podcast where all they did was praise a show, it w- I feel like it'd be boring for me, I guess. Maybe you would like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, yeah, n- no. I, I, so, okay. Um, yeah. If there was a podcast that was just like fawning over Star Trek, it was like every single time it's just like, this was great. And this was great. And this was great. See you next time. Then right. uh, yeah, no, that's, that's boring. But at the same time, if <laughs> going in the other direction, if someone's like, this sucked, this sucked, this sucked, see you next time. I think that's equally boring. No, you're right. We like to nitpick on the show. And I think that it's, we do it with love for the most part. For <laughs> Sometimes, sure. Sometimes. Yeah. Not, not so much love, but hopefully people don't think that we're just shitting on it all the time. <laughs> and it's like not fun. I'm just, I mean, 115 episodes. Sometimes it just, it feels like this is my third episode. <laughs> I can see how you would think that. I can definitely see how you would think that. Um, I hope that uh, we will continue to watch the show. Specifically, you, Jonathan, will continue to watch the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. I think you only have 300 and something before this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you got time. It's not going anywhere. Paramount yep. Plus is really strong because I hear it's a great app and everybody it's loves it. The smoothest experience. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Well, uh, I guess that's been the show. And we normally have this other th- outro that we do that we don't do right now because we're doing uh, our Strange New Worlds. By the way, if you liked Strange New Worlds, no. If you liked the measure of an episode, uh, we don't just do new Trek. We do all the old classic Trek, uh, the original series through Enterprise. We do all a couple. We've done Picard. We've done a couple of episodes of Lower Decks. So if you like it, we have, as we said, 115 episodes uh, out there for you to listen to. Go leave a comment if you liked it. It would help us out tremendously. Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it once again. It's been nice to have you as a host yet again. Yeah. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we'll see you next time. I've been Paul. And I've been Jonathan. I will let you off the hook because I started off, which means you're going to be doing an impression of of somebody on the show. So I will give you the option to not do an impression just because. I'm, so I'm going to do an impression. And I want you to see if you can guess which which captain. Well, no, I won't say captain. Which person it is. Okay. Uh, and this has been the measure of an episode. But you already knew that. Hmm. Hmm. It's you, Paul. Oh. (laughs) Fair enough.
feel like I should have gotten that quicker, but 